Welcome to this week's episode, episode 140 of Coming Up Next. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for streaming or downloading or however it is that you have tuned in. And if you're not already subscribed, you can find all the buttons and links to subscribe at comingupnext.com.au as well as the entire back catalogue of Coming Up Next rambles. That's right, you don't have to pay for any of them. You don't have to search for any of them anywhere else. They're all available there. Uh, You can find last week's episode. If you are an aspiring creative and uh, you want a dose of inspiration, I would certainly recommend checking out my chat with Genevieve Brock where she talks about a 10-month haul to get her six-episode series up and running. A big thank you to Genevieve for being so open about uh, not only her process making the show but uh, also about her life leading up to that and everything that influenced her to do it. This week, all the way from New York City, it is my uh, great pleasure and uh, an honour to welcome Choi Lung to the Chat Cave. Choi is uh, an artist. Uh, She grew up in Wales and uh, she's got a new project out at the moment called The Young Girl Project. It's uh, an autobiographical exploration of memory and the subconscious. Uh, it's, a, it's an evolving project of drawings, paintings, video and sound which takes you into the personal world of the young girl, the silence of sexual abuse and the system of patriarchy in the control of women and children. Choi tells me all about uh, coming up with this project and putting it out into the world, as well as what it was like to grow up in Wales. Uh, We talk about moving all over the world, studying music, Buddhist iconography, working in animation. It's just an extraordinary life and an extraordinary story. And if you'd like to explore her work further, you can do so at choichun.com, C-H-O-I-C-H-U-N.com, where you can find links to all of her work uh, and her Instagram profile, which has uh, a lot of stuff uh, for the Young Girl Project. Go and check it out. And in the meantime, here is episode 140 of Coming Up Next, my interview with Choi Lung. You've been living in New York now for, what, about 20, 20 years? Yeah, since 94, but I went back to Europe um, in between. And so what prompted your move over to New York? Met a guy. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> the usual story about everybody that's here, or a woman, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, it wasn't a place I, it wasn't a place I ever wanted to come, really. Mm. And I, uh, I always went to Asia first, or Hong Kong, you know, like, and then I came here and I was like, oh, it's actually completely different to how I imagined, you know? So um, I liked it. It was uh, it was back in the days when it was a bit grittier, well, a lot more grittier. And um, yeah, I liked the speed of it. I liked the fact that I could do art here and people were buying. I imagine in a similar way to uh, you know my experience of living in in Australia is that you know there's there is this really vibrant artistic community, 
but then you go somewhere like a New York or a London or a Paris and it's just like it's it's kind of embedded into the culture it's not something that's on the side it's something that's really there um, and there's such a great community and I imagine as someone who grew up in in Wales you know that mm-hmm. was probably a similar experience for you definitely it was here I just felt there was so many different types of people doing so many different types of things and you I just felt exposed like my world just became you know wider and bigger and I liked that it was a crazy met lots of crazy characters and it broadened you know like what I did it really influenced what I did and was it in New York that you really started to combine music and, and painting? I played music in London first. It was like Chinese music. And um, I always did art. I lived in Hong Kong before I lived in uh, New York. And I was I wanted to do film there, but I ended up doing um, like background painting. And um, it was... A little bit of everything, but coming to New York, I didn't have papers, so I couldn't work. And I started hanging out at the woodyard where they would throw all the offcuts out at the end of the day. So I picked up all these offcuts and I just got paint and I started painting on these small pieces of wood just to keep myself busy. And that's how I started painting. I hadn't, really, I didn't really paint in London or Hong Kong. It was more just here. And um, out of the necessity, just to do something creative. So. Growing up in Wales, were you yeah leading? Were you leading a creative life there? Were you um, pursuing any sort of creative endeavour there, or it wasn't really until you left? No, I think um, I always, since I was very young, uh, was making stuff and drawing. And for me, it was my escape from my reality. I guess it was my I would go into my imaginary world, and I would just start drawing, making things, uh, even writing words, and you know, and that's where my interest was, and it was, was encouraged when I was young. Um, I went to art school. I did all the arts in school, and I did art foundation there. So it was just a progression, you know, just uh, starting off with pen and paper and then just expanding mediums and expanding knowledge of what I was doing, yeah. Do you remember the first time that you did kind of craft or create something, maybe as a child? Yeah, it was a Play-Doh. And I was very young. I think I won a little competition making an elephant in yellow Play-Doh. And I was probably, I don't know, four, three or four maybe, something like that. That's the first time I remember, you know, like making something that people saw, you know. Do you remember after that experience, was there this kind of feeling like you wanted to continue to do that, continue to create and kind of explore uh, your artistic side? Yeah, I think as a kid, it was just something that I naturally gravitated towards. And I don't think it was a conscious decision, oh, I'm going to do this. It was really just the only thing I felt I could do that was able to communicate or express how I felt or saw things. It was never in my mind to do anything else. It was always given, oh, I'm going to do art. I didn't know what that word meant or what 
it encompassed in terms of the different types of art. I just knew that's what I want to do. What, what were your parents doing in, in, uh, in whereabouts in Wales did you grow up? It's actually in the Guinness Book of Records found the long ass name. Yeah, right. That is a long ass name. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and, and what did your, what, what do your parents do or did your parents do? Were they kind of encouraging of your creative pursuits? Yeah, I mean, they had a Chinese, Chinese takeaway. We worked there. Um, they, they, had, they were, were really not on top of me when it came to what I did in school or, you know, at home even. It was, my dad was always working in the restroom, so we didn't see him much. And, um, you know, we just did what we did, you know. I think because I come from a family of girls, it was four girls and one boy. He was pretty old-fashioned. I think he just thought it didn't really matter what we did because we'd get a husband and we'd be, you know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think uh, had it been my brother, he, he would not have let him pursue art, for instance. Or, right. Yeah. And, were your, and your parents were first-generation migrants to, to Wales? My dad's Chinese and my mum is uh, British. Okay. Yeah, so he, he came to um, England when he was like 17, 18, something like that. He was born in China, raised in Hong Kong, um, adopted, don't know any of his family, that kind of thing. Yeah. So when you finished uh, school and you went and um, started studying uh, in you know various parts of China, in Beijing, and um, are you kind of going to try and find maybe his family or, or you know, uh, find out about your cultural background? I think more the latter. Um, you know, raised in Wales, there was not, there was no diversity at the, in those, that time, you know, that I was probably one of a couple Chinese in a massive school. And uh, it always felt like you were different in terms of people just staring or asking you where you're from, even though you're born there. You know, I think it was, um, and also my, my, my father was a very strict Chinese kind of person, and he expected us to act and be Chinese, even though we were raised in Wales. We had nothing, you know, culturally, we had nothing to do with uh, China. So I think it made me curious to see if I fit in somewhere, mm. um, but I didn't. You know, it was <laughs> like you go you go to Hong Kong and they stare at you the same freaking way and they call you Guaymoy, which is like white devil. And you, it, you just, and then I just went, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to be looking for a place, you know, wherever I am is going to be my home. It's not belonging to a culture or, you know, a certain geography. You know, it's, um, yeah, I think it just made me a wanderer in that way. You yeah. Know? Well, you settled in one of the homes of... Uh... Wanderers, I think, in uh, in New York. Yeah, that might be why. You know, who knows? I mean, a lot of people come here for their own reasons. But, uh, and you said that you you said that you studied, uh, you know, film and worked um, in uh, in animation as a background yeah. artist. What does that yeah. What does that entail? Well, it was. Um, I didn't study film as such. I just ended up in a job. I, wa I went to Hong Kong and I wanted to work in film. And I loved Kung Fu movies growing up. But I didn't end up doing that. I, it was um, a studio that did uh, commercials 
and uh, mixed live film with animation as well as animation. So it was cell animation at that time. And I used to just um, paint the backgrounds. So they'd put the cells on top. So I just designed the little cartoony, you know, environments that these um, characters were in. I'd paint in the cells, uh, come up with little clothing ideas for the cartoons, stuff like that. So from there, you know, you start, uh, you, you go and, and studied music as well, studied Chinese music. Um, and I'm assuming at this point in time, as you sort of alluded to earlier, you weren't sort of uh, throwing yourself headfirst into, into painting, into, into that side of your artistry. Uh, at what point did that sort of become your main focus? I guess I was always searching for something, you know, and I think in New York, I started painting more, I think, because it was just the thing I could do at home, you know, and I had um, a baby at that time. I have a daughter and I was a single mom and I thought, okay, well, I can do this at home and I can take care of my kid and I can sell a few things here and there. And it just gradually built. Um, all the work I did was purely me just uh, searching for something, I think, you know, that gave me a feeling that I was um, exploring the subconscious or exploring medium. And um, it just took off from there. I think it was not a choice like, oh, I'm going to paint now. It just ended up. That's what I could do at the time with the stuff I had, the tools I had at hand, and you know my lifestyle. You know, how did you uh, how did you find that you developed your technique and your artistic voice and your artistic expression? I think I only just developed it recently, to tell you the right. truth. <laughs> Twenty five years later. Yeah, basically. You know, I I I really do think that I I think um, all my work is abstract. And there's a lot of self-discovery that goes along in your life, right? And I think the more I became honest to myself about that and less shy about communicating that, the more literal my work became. And it started off as purely just shapes in paint. And then it became words that got scribbled and scratched over and painted over. And only I really knew what those words were saying. And then the words became kind of the girls, you know, and I think it was all happening with the, like the, the development of me, you know, in terms of coming to grips with my past, my, the, the questions I had, the answers I was searching for. And um, that's how it became what it is today, if you know what I mean. And that, probably the girl, the cartoon girls that I do now, I mean... 2013, 2014, I guess. Five years I've been doing it. Mm. It took all that time for me to become comfortable exposing myself in that way. And still, I'm not 100% comfortable. It's, I think it's always going to be a, you know, a journey you know, in terms of coming to terms with things and also being able to put it down to communicate it to people. Yeah. And the purpose, the purpose of why you're doing something. Because I always had a hard time with art. 
I, I loved it and I hated it. There was a part of me that loved just doing it, but I hated the business of it and the, the environment it was stuck in and how uncomfortable that environment made me feel. And I thought, well, no one's going to see what I do if they feel that same intimidation or uncomfortability going into a gallery or into a certain space, you know. But I think taking out of that realm, just in the creative space, it was, it was the happiest place for me. You talk a lot about um, exposing the subconscious mind through, I guess, conscious acts like painting or, or you know, I guess as you were saying earlier, uh, you know, the Play-Doh that you would craft or music, I guess, as well. When you're in these first, you know, 10 or 15 or even 20 years of painting as you're kind of developing your own style and your own voice, are you working off instinct alone or is there a bit more method even though you're still refining what you're doing? I think it's instinctual because my work is always process orientated. When I approach canvas or paper, I really don't have a clue what I'm going to do. I just start doing something and then seeing what comes out. So I think for me, uh, painting and drawing or even writing a song, it was revealing what's inside that you didn't know existed before. Sometimes I'll look back at paintings, I did, you know, and I'll go, oh, I'll get them now, but I didn't get it at the time, you know, in terms of what I was communicating or what was coming out. And then I went, ah, that makes sense, or that symbol, I understand why that's in there now. And I think um, that's always been a part of me. It's because I, I'm fascinated with the dream world. I'm fascinated with psychology, you know, the psychology and the subconscious and the things that we don't have control over. I think controlling too much, we can uh, curate and become who we want to become instead of like letting it be an uncontrolled process and letting it just be and discovering who you are, you know? Instead of who you want to be, this is who you are. Yeah, no, definitely. I think what what lies underneath the, the conscious kind of egoic mind is the truth or the authentic self. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we spend so much of our lives and so much of our time trying to, you know, put this armor on or put all this kind of cloaking on to mask that and to shield ourselves or protect ourselves from the real world. But through, through art and through artistic expression, you know, it often reveals itself whether we intend for it to or not. Yeah, and it it can reveal pretty fucked up, ugly things too, right? It's like where you, you can't be like you know, putting on a pretty, it's not about pretty pictures, it's about, no, this is what happened, or this is what's inside there, whether you like it or not. I think that's always going to be the kind of starting point when you're, when you really start digging, because it's all of that muck and crap and the difficult experiences that we've had that are going to be the first things to surface, because that's what I guess you need to deal with to get to the next levels or the next layers. And I think it's also how we connect with people, too, because I think, you know, all of us have our facades and it's only when you have like a one on one with people or 
you know, when people open up, you really get to see personalities and intentions and life, you know. And I think um, once you open up to other people, it's easier for them to open up to you. And that's what I realized when I uh, was doing the artwork is when people did see it, people who I'd known for years, and they were telling me stuff they'd never told me before. And it took a piece of art or drawing or, you know, for that to happen. Yet we'd hung out so many times before and it had never been a conversation, you know? And I think it made me feel, oh, there's something here, yeah. you know, that I wanted to explore. And it felt like a good communication tool for me as well, you know? And I liked that because I was learning so much from what people were seeing. And I really enjoyed that communication between, you know, the back and forth of that communication. What did you feel like you were communicating at that time? And how do you feel like that's evolved through your work? To put it bluntly, people were like, what's this? What the fuck is this? Like, What are these drawings about? And I go, well, I'm going into my past and I'm like, digging up stuff and this is what happened to me and some people just looked dumbfounded and shocked and others when this has happened to me too men and women you know and that's what i meant by having conversations with uh, people or complete strangers even who we went straight into the guts of their past and these people had never ever told anyone before it happened so far back and they had, and the reason why is because they don't want to make people uncomfortable. They, um, it's not a subject that people talk about around a dinner table. It's not like, you know, shits and giggles. It's like hard shit, you know, and it's, um, and I think that's why people keep it to themselves. I think it's incredible that through art we can find ways to connect and to uh, empower people to have a voice. Yeah. And um, kids are interesting. Kids that have seen the stuff, not that I show it to them intentionally, but sometimes like friends, kids have come across it and the questions they ask. I mean, if the intention is to bring up this subject matter with adults, the other intention is for a kid to see it and go, oh, that's not meant to be happening. You know, this is, um, this is not, you know, when an adult says something that's actually not right. You know, and I think, you know, if it can have that impact too, that would be really important yeah. to stop something from happening or preventing it from continuing, you know. Is there a specific subject matter that you're referring to that's kind of a through line through your work or is it more the, the audience's interpretation of your work? My experience is sexual abuse as a child. Right. Now, how people interpret the, the artwork will depend on their experience. So I don't like to kind of label it. I think it's really important with the drawings for people to read it through their own eyes and through their own um, vocabulary, if you know what I mean. But that is what I'm referring to when I draw and tell the stories through the drawings, you know? I suppose, you know, only going into the sort of detail that you, you're comfortable with. But is that something that you, again, when you started painting, was it 
something that just came out of you or was it something that you were consciously, you know, having a catharsis through for? I think from a very young age I had snippets of information and memory. So say you had to describe a, a feature film. I had like so many frames of that feature film. So I couldn't really know the whole story. But I definitely had um, pieces of memory that didn't make sense to me and always left me with this feeling of question marks and a feeling that something was not right, but I didn't know what, you know. And I went through 20s, 30s just feeling that, like it affected, you know, many different aspects of my life, relationships, uh, even you know, trusting people, and I never understood why. I, I could not, um, I didn't put two and two together, but I knew, you know, I knew enough to make me go, one day, okay, i got to sort this out. Otherwise, I'll never, you know. So I think the process of making that decision to kind of um, delve into it also came into my artwork changed as a result of that, you know. And um, the more I discovered, the more I came to terms with it, that's when uh, the Girl Project became more literal and more, you know. And before then, my paintings definitely um, alluded to that, even by titles or the words that were coming out when I wasn't, you know, when I wasn't thinking or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. How did you feel as though your relationships, you know, romantic relationships, platonic relationships, and I guess your relationship with yourself were affected um, by these experiences, even though you only had sort of fragmented memories of them? Well, I think from a very young age, I was unemotional. I was very quiet. A lot of my conversations were under my head. I didn't show outwardly emotions, whether it was joy or excitement or you know, um, anger, I was just very disassociated. And going into relationships, I think, I've got my goofy side and my silly side, I think that did come out. But um, love and those kind of feelings, I didn't really understand it. I always felt, oh, it's just a word, but we can all interpret that word many different ways. So how do you know when someone says that word to you that they're feeling the same feeling? You know, or what are they feeling? Because I don't think we we all use that word, but the definition of how people react to it or interpret it is very different. You know? And um, I would say I couldn't stay in relationships that long. I, I would feel um, trapped, controlled, antsy. I have a commitment phobe, I guess, commit, fear of commitment, because I never trusted my emotions. You yeah, because I guess these are all ways of protecting you. They're all protective mechanisms, right? Yeah. Um, which, you know, I guess is completely understandable if, you're, if you go through something as traumatic as that in your childhood when you're just kind of forming and, and starting to develop your understanding of the world and the way that people relate to one another you know it 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 seems 
only natural that you would develop these protective mechanisms. Yeah, because the, when you're a kid, you think, oh, you've got, you're told to trust adults and listen to what they say. And they have, you know, authority, right? And all those things just go out the window. You know, you, you get older and you, you kind of go, okay, the people that are supposed to care for you or whatever, you know, didn't mm. in that respect, you know. So all the people that were in charge of you at that time, you know. So, yeah, it does I think it definitely blurs the boundaries of um, those, those relationships or emotions that come up as a kid. Safety, um, fear of uh, not being safe, and always feeling on guard that you have to protect yourself and look after yourself because no one else is going to. And as a child, you don't have those verbal skills or, or strength to speak out and fight back. So it's like you just sort of shut down. I could imagine it would be very isolating. Yeah, and I think that's why, um, uh, you know, for me, I think that was my saving, uh, the thing that kind of kept me going is my imaginary world became bigger. And I would just create these, um, through art, I created an alternative reality. And that became what I looked forward to. You know, and that's how I expressed my feelings because I didn't, I shut down verbally. I, I didn't have, um, it was through, you know, visuals, visual communication that I probably was able to say a lot of things, you know, internally. At what point did you feel that you became comfortable, uh, I guess, talking about it, expressing it? Uh, and what was the significance of that for you? I would say... You know, living in America, people go to therapy. <laughs> you know, in England, it was like, oh, fucking therapy, whatever. But I, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to therapy. And doing that forced me to become verbal, you know. And I, at first, I went to this one-on-one group where it was a, a free program. Because obviously, therapy is very expensive. And uh, they specialized in this for, you know, women and men and whatever. And then I went to a group program, but I couldn't handle that. Couldn't handle hearing the stories of other people way, probably who were far more advanced in their self-discovery of what had happened than I was, you know. So it it triggered me like crazy. And I so I just kept a one-on-one. And I think doing that... It, helped me understand like I tried so many things and a lot of the time I was like well this is so fucking depressing and it it was awful you know but then I always remember friends telling me it's gonna get better it's gonna get better and, and I think it was once I got over that hump and it took a few years and then it all I started being more active you know in my artwork and I I I expressed a lot through there too, you know, and um, that's when it changed, I think, not that long ago. I would say within the last 10 years. It didn't happen overnight, put it that way. <laughs> it was like <laughs> a, long, a long process of um, hiding, basically, you know, and not wanting to go there because who wants to go there? I, I, I really did think, oh, shit, if I open this box, I'll never be able to shut it, you know. 
And there were so many times I went, why did I start this process? I hated it, you know. But now I'm so happy I did. It's not only made me so much calmer, but also I feel my artwork has become more of an expression of me because I've discovered more about myself. And now I can also see how I can help other people through my art and through talking about it. And, and then that gives me a bigger purpose than just, you know, with artwork, it can be very egotistical and you're just going, I, 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 me, my expression, my expression, you know. And now I feel, no, this is, this is much bigger than that. By using art to communicate, and hopefully it can affect some kind of change. How do you feel as though your artwork started to become influenced by the work that you were doing um, on a psychological level? Well, when you go through that process, there's a lot. The first feeling I had was intense anger. Like, why the fuck did this person do that to me? Or why me? Or why, you know, just this. And that came out through painting, I think a lot, you know, where it released a lot of the anger that probably, you know, if I didn't have artwork, sometimes you release it on yourself, you know? And I saw words start coming out. That's when I, uh, the painting started becoming um, like calligraphy, writing. And then the words that were coming out, I was like, whoa, that's really fucked up. So I'd paint over and then like cover them up and then write more words. So the painting's just layers and layers of words, which was how I was feeling or what had happened or questions. And it was um, layers and layers, you know, were coming out. And I would not know what words were coming out. I was just scribbling whatever. And just that's raw, when I... Just raw emotion. Yeah. And that's when I saw, oh, there's words coming out here and a lot of questions. And that's probably when it, it became, um, yeah, evident to me that there was things getting exposed, but because I wasn't comfortable with it, that's why I painted over it. And it became more abstract through that process of painting over, writing, painting over. But the titles that I gave the paintings made sense in hindsight. They were very much um, saying what was going on. There were some pieces that I made from the drop cloths that was the paint that just fell off the, pe the canvases and the, the throwaway and the feeling that when, you, when things have happened, that feeling of that you're dirty or you're damaged or you're, you're throwaway, you know, and I made paintings from those, the drop cloths and I, I kind of changed what normally would have been, um, well, in my mind, it was like taking something that was not precious and putting it on the frame and making something beautiful and precious out of something that you would normally throw away, you know? How do you kind of, um, in words like, uh, you know, dirty and damaged, I imagine, would resonate with a lot of people who have had similar experiences. And I wonder how you kind of move through that and, or move beyond that and, and, get to a place where you actually feel like this this is the sort of thing this sort of thing doesn't need to define your identity i suppose well i think you know when when bad shit happens or whatever you call bad i don't know what you call it, but i think self-worth is comes into this 
you know, um, self-esteem, the feeling that you you shut up or I should have done this, I should have done that, you know, and that questioning of looking back at a young child and getting angry with that child for not reacting the way you want, you wanted them to do as an adult, you know, but not having the compassion to realize that was a child with no skill, no tools at hand to know what to do in those moments, you know, because you're not really taught what to do. You just talk, don't talk to strangers or, but they don't say, don't talk to people you know, or, you know, like a lot of these things, they, they don't happen necessarily with strangers. So I think um, as I began to have more compassion for myself and the kid and not be so angry at myself for allowing it to happen or not doing, you know, not reacting the way I thought I should have done, you know, then it became less of the feeling of, you know, what you were talking about earlier, feeling ashamed or bad or dirty, or, you know, this kind of thing, um, which, come, which came through talking to a lot of people and realizing this is not isolated. This happens to a lot of people. And then not thinking, um, yeah, not being victim, you know, but instead using it as a point of strength because if I look at my life now, I go, I'm happy and I love what I do. And even though this project, like the Girl Drawings, has a, a very kind of strong subject matter, I really enjoy drawing it. I have a lot of fun and there's black humor that comes out for me in drawing some of these things. And I, I do question though, like my creativity, is it dependent on this happening as a kid or would I have still been as creative? You know, would I not be, I, I don't know, it's a hard thing to express really, but um, yeah. if I was to deny the past, I'd also be denying where I am now and the future. And if I'm happy now, then I've got to embrace the past and go, no, I have to look at this as a positive because it brought me to where I am now and, you know, I'm content with where I am. I think that's a great way of, of framing it. Uh, and, you know, it's a really, you know, you have, a, you have this great spirit about you uh, with your art and with your creativity and I guess having come out the other side of the work that you've done for yourself you can mm -hmm. now reflect in a more positive way, not to say that what's happened is positive, but that, you know, you've, you've empowered yourself and you haven't victimized yourself. Um, and you've, you've mentioned a, a couple of times the Young Girl Project, which, you know, you've described as being an autobiographical exploration of, of memory in the subconscious. What was the driving force for, for this project in particular? Because it's it seemed to me, from what I could see online, quite a departure from your earlier work. Yeah, well, it, that was always a funny starting point because I did mainly abstract work for, forever, right? But I, I would always doodle these girls, but always stop at the heads. I'd always draw three girls and just draw their heads and stop. 
and um a friend of mine was I was having a, a chat in my kitchen I was doodling on this envelope and a friend of mine said what are you doing and I said I'm just doodling and he goes what is that and I go it's just these girls and he goes well what is that and I go I always draw them but I never went further than their heads you know <laughs> it was like weird and um and he said to me, you should keep drawing. And I said, why? I don't draw cartoons. I do abstract. And I realized as soon as I said it, you know, have you ever said something and you go, that sounds so stupid? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like I've just basically put a big boundary around myself, a big cage and around my creativity and said, I don't do that. I do this. And then I kind of looked at him and I went, no, nah, maybe I should just, you know, draw more I just thought okay you've given me a challenge here I'm going to do it so I bought these little moleskin moleskin sketchbooks that fit in your pocket and um I just carried them everywhere and every time I was on the subway or just sitting around and I was just drawing in them and what came out was so telling you know I was just drawing freestyling just you know just going with it and stories were coming out and physical expressions of the girls that came up as you know told me an emotional state and those little girls then became groups of girls and those groups of girls then became big drawings and and it, it kind of took off from there and um I would say that's when the abstract became literal it's when I started talking about it and you know friends would see the work and they would then talk about it themselves and tell me things that happened in their life and that's when I realized the power of just being honest you know and not hiding with my artwork but just letting it out and going okay this is it it was a communication tool far more direct than my abstract work was and I just really liked that communication tool it's definitely strikes me as being very personal and I could imagine that people who have experienced trauma, whether literally similar or in any other way, could find something to relate to in this work. Um, but the, there's certainly a striking kind of uh, theme, I guess, in your exploration of um, you know patriarchy and, and the control of women and children within that sort of uh, context and framework. And I guess with everything that's been happening in recent times, you know, starting off in Hollywood and then moving into the Me Too movement and everything that's been going on in recent times, do you feel as though there's a transition happening in the world at the moment? There's some sort of shift in in that kind of patriarchal uh, way of operating in the world? Yeah, I see there is a shift. At the same time, it's very important to embrace men's experiences too and not just make this about women because uh this is issue based and I draw girls because I'm a girl or a woman you know and I draw from my experience but I can honestly say that through showing the work I've had as many male friends say to me that this happened to them too you know and struggle with the same issues so for me, it has to be issue-based and not gender-based. Otherwise, I would be, uh, I don't know, I'd feel I'd be cutting off a big part of the population that is hurting as well, you know? So when it comes to 
yeah, the Me Too movement is it's still affiliated in terms of victims are using their voice and feeling power now in groups to speak out. And I hope that happens for everybody. And I think, you know, through artistic expression, whether it's painting or music or acting or writing or whatever the medium is, you can give as cliched as it is a voice to that to that expression to that uh underlying kind of feeling and and remove isolation from the equation there's a lot of separation you know but at the core we are all humans right and we all have hopefully you know the same desires and needs and you know want want to be we want to connect with each other you know and i think um yeah, even though I say patriarchy in my statement, that's because I grew up in a household that was very, uh, you know, Chinese. You know, the father ruled the home, and as a girl, I had a lot of constraints that my brother didn't have. But at his core, I just want equality. I don't want anything other than that. Yeah, I think, I think that's uh, that's that's what most people want is to have that connection, to have that level of understanding to be understood to be loved to be uh, you know to be validated all of these kind of basic human wants or or desires which i think is what connects us yeah if we could be more mindful of that and then all those things that separate us would just hopefully just not be as important but they are you know yeah and that's the sad thing you know well Troy, <laughs> i feel like we could uh keep going on this for a long time but I'm uh, <laughs> conscious of not wanting to take up too much of your time uh, Choi people can find your find the young girl project uh, on Instagram at Choi Chun Lung which I'll put on the um, on the Facebook page and your website is choichun.com yeah that's right I finish all of my conversations with the same question it feels a little bit uh, strange coming out of this conversation to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, the question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? The want to be silly. The want to relive my childhood. The want to just make people smile more. Mm. And throw people off, because I think, you know, you have first impressions, and I think a lot of people's first impressions about me are so wrong. And when I'm silly, my true self comes out. And it challenges that first impression. And I think being around people that get you, you know. How significant is it for you to approach your art with that kind of childlike irreverence? I think, I think it's important. I have a lot of like middle fingers stuck up. and Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of time it's like you just, I, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could just do that all the time you want to do it in public situations? <laughs> yeah, just give a big fuck you to all the yeah, structures you, and just, systems. Exactly, or when people are just talking out their ass or when they're so full of themselves, you just want to go, oh, fuck you. you know? Yeah, get over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, have you ever been in a place where you're not supposed to like do stuff like that and you imagine it and you just burst out laughing because you're just thinking, that is the funniest shit. 
Especially when you're with someone who's on the same wavelength as you. Oh, yeah. And the more they laugh, the more you do. And then before you know it, you've both peed your pants and it's over. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So the lesson from this podcast is always bring a spare pair of underwear. Yeah, exactly. Just in case you piss yourself. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Joy. No, thank you. It was really nice talking to you.